Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans 8, 1 through 11, and it can be found on page 944 in the Church Bibles. My name is Lydia Peters, and I'm a member here at MPC, and I've grown up here. Romans 8, 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of sin, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here. Whether you are joining us in the sanctuary here, whether you are down the hall in our fellowship hall, whether you're joining us online on live stream, maybe on your phone behind rolling thunder in your car, we are really glad to have you here this morning. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we come to you We come to you in the name of your Son, by the power of your Spirit, excited to hear your word, praying that you would make us different, changed, new people because we see Jesus more clearly. Would you show us our Savior in your word this morning, and would you change our lives that we would be more enjoying of you, and by doing that, glorify you more. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever had the situation where you can't see the answer to something even though it's right in front of you? About two years ago, I hit that magic age where I now wear reading glasses. Happened down front, I was leading liturgy, and one day I said, the Lord calls us to worship from Psalm 33. The age had come. I needed reading glasses. Well, that means I've been able to join the great crowd of you who has this experience. Has anybody seen where my glasses are? I know I left them around. Where are, and about 10 minutes later, every room in the house, you finally go, oh. The answer was right on my head. I just couldn't see it. Well, we're doing a sermon series. And the series is about enjoying God. Why this series? Honestly, because it's something that's surprisingly hard for many of us. Dr. Carolyn Sinclair, our director of care ministry, also a PhD in counseling, and just our all-around guru on human behavior, 
told me a few months ago that, in fact, joy is the human emotion that's the hardest for us to let ourselves experience. Now, our focus this morning out of this passage is about enjoying the Holy Spirit, and that actually makes it that much worse. It doubles down because it's often been noted, John Calvin talked about the Holy Spirit a lot, but Calvinists seem scared to death of the Spirit. So we have trouble with joy because we're human beings, and we have trouble with the Holy Spirit because we're Calvinists. That means we've got a lot to learn this morning. How do we enjoy the Holy Spirit? Simple thesis The reason we don't enjoy the Holy Spirit is because we don't see what's right in front of us. The reason we don't enjoy the Holy Spirit, it's because we don't see what's right there in front of us. We'll look at it just in three things this morning. First, that we seek joy. Second, that God gives joy. And third, then what next? What now? So first, we are always seeking joy. Seeking might actually not be a strong enough word. We're always striving after joy. You might even say struggling for joy. It, you know, if you are working yourself to the bone to try to store up enough money and have a decent home and pay off the mortgage and be able to handle everything, you're not doing it because you just love killing yourself. You're doing it because you think, I want what this will give me, some kind of joy in the long run, the ability to relax and enjoy it. If you're not in the working world, if you're doing it, you're doing it through kids or you're doing it with the people you're with or the way you volunteer. In some way, shape or form, every one of us is chasing after joy, struggling for joy. And the fascinating and interesting thing is we all have a default. We have a default way we try to go after getting that joy. And this passage talks about it a lot. It talks about it in verses 5, 6, 7, 8 and 9. And our default is this thing that Paul calls the flesh. Now, this is one of those Bible words that we need to be careful to understand how it's used. Because you and I think flesh, well, that's skin and muscle. My flesh is the physical part of me. My other part is my brain, my thoughts. Well, the Bible does use the word that way sometimes. But when Paul tends to use the word the flesh, he tends to mean something very different, much bigger than just your physical self. To Paul, through most of his letters, certainly in this passage, the flesh stands for all of us in our rebellion against God. It stands for us in our sin, our self-righteousness, our selfishness, our desire to try to please ourselves, to do it our way. The flesh is Paul's full word for all of humanity in our sin, united against the way God would have us do things. And the thing is, when we're trying to find joy, we have a default. We default to doing it in our flesh. It looks like it works for other people. It sounds kind of fun. Go turn on TMZ and see what it's like. Looks good to me. I'm going to try to get it that way. We are, the beginning of verse 5, look at our passage. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the flesh desires. We tend to live as people who are flesh and have our minds set on the flesh. And the thing about that is it's a deception. Even more than it's a deception, it destroys us. The flesh is something that looks wonderful, but in this definition that Paul gives us, sucks us in and then chews us up. The analogy is that of an anglerfish. Do you know what an anglerfish is? If you don't, have you seen Finding Nemo? In Finding Nemo, it's when Martin and Dory 
go down chasing the diving mask into this crevice. An anglerfish is a fish with massive jaws, razor-sharp teeth sticking out every which way, waiting to devour whatever comes in front of it. But if you're in the deep, dark ocean, you don't see the mouth and the jaws. What you see is the anglerfish has this dorsal spine that extends over in front of its mouth almost like a fishing pole, and right at the end, this little glowing orb. And so if another fish or a piece of prey or something follows that light out of curiosity or attraction, the jaws snap shut. So Martin and Dory are going down, they're following, and then at the last minute, they see the jaws coming after them. Well, That's what the flesh is. It looks wonderful to us. But at the last moment, the jaws snap shut and devour us. How does it happen? Well, if your friend starts drinking again too much, well, this is the thing that will loosen me up. This will make the party work. This will give me life until the moment when the jaws snap shut. Or this will be actually the thing that dulls the difficulty of life and helps me just get through. This is the way to make it until the jaws snap shut and the addiction starts. Or it's the serial partners or the affair or the images online. It looks like this is the thing of life right up until the moment and the jaws snap and you realize you've destroyed relationship. Forgotten how to have intimacy the way God designed it. Or it's chasing that success until no matter what, it's the thing you have to have and it's going to get me there until the jaws snap and you realize you've left behind what you needed. Simple fact is sin, as we've often said, always overpromises and underdelivers. Because when we go after the flesh, it warps us and it destroys us. Here's how. Is, is it been far enough since the movies that we can do Lord of the Ring analogies again? Gollum is chasing the ring. The ring is everything to him. The ring is life. The ring is the thing that will get him success. The, thing is the ring is the thing that gives him all joy, all hope, all pleasure. And he doesn't realize that it has been twisting him and warping him and destroying him and turning him into a monster. If we chase something else, something of the flesh, it inevitably twists us and changes us and destroys us. How do you chase the flesh? What's the ring to you? What's the bait of the anglerfish? Realize, as a society, it's not working. What should be the happiest society in the world consumes 90% of the antidepressants prescribed. C.S. Lewis, a while ago, said famously, if we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most logical answer is that we were made for another world. It's time to question ourselves. We tend to chase joy in the flesh, and all it gives us is death. But God offers us joy. He offers us joy in the Holy Spirit. What would that look like? How would that happen? Three thoughts out of this text. Number one, Jesus did it. Look at verses one to four. First thing that we know is that Jesus is the one who did it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus, Jesus is the one who has won us joy in the Holy Spirit. That's incredibly important to understand because if you look down at verse 7 and 8, the sinful mind, the flesh, can never please God, the Bible says. No matter how good a version of the human world you have, it's not what makes us right with God. We need Jesus to give it to us. And that raises immediately an incredibly important implication. If your version of Christianity is, I'm going to do enough good stuff, 
or I'm going to not do enough bad stuff that somehow or other God's going to be happy enough with me that he's going to bring me into heaven and that I'm going to be okay, realize that's actually still the flesh. It's a cleaned up, prettied up version of it. But still in the end, that is self-reliance. That is an arrogance to say the God of the universe who's perfect has to accept me. That's not Christianity. Christianity is the fact that Jesus has done it for us. He has won for us joy in the Holy Spirit. And verse 9, he gives us the Spirit. Look at verse 9. You, whoever, are not controlled by the sinful nature, by the flesh, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. In other words, verse 9, Paul says, there is no such thing as a Christian who isn't filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if you believe in Jesus, if he's forgiven your sins, if he is your hope, it means you're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing in the Bible as a Christian who doesn't have the Spirit. So the Spirit is a gift given us by Jesus. We can't earn it on our own. Well, you say, that actually is kind of troubling, Pastor, because, okay, I'm willing to believe that, but I don't feel like I got a whole lot of Holy Spirit in me. This is because our thinking gets muddled and we don't let the Bible teach us well. Back in 2003, fabulous remake of a movie called The Italian Job from the 60s. And this remake... Seth Green's character is sitting in the airport, waiting at the luggage turnstile. He's working on his computer, trying to figure out the heist that they're about to pull off. And he suddenly computes in his mind for the first time the value of the gold that he and his gang are about to steal. $27 million. And so suddenly he lets out a whoop. He goes, wow! And exactly what you did happens. Everybody in the airport goes... And he's got a cover. So he goes, uh, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a great trip. Get on the train. And everybody goes, oh, another religious nut. Turns back to what they're doing. But that's about where a lot of us are when we think about the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is some kind of something force I don't understand that's going to make me really emotional and maybe give me some sort of a charismatic gift. Well, you know what? The Holy Spirit might make you emotional, and that's not a bad thing. You know, actually being emotional about our faith is wonderful, but it misunderstands the Spirit if we think that he's some force that just sort of gets us on this emotional high. We're not letting the Bible tell us what the Spirit really does. Let's look at what the Scripture actually says about the Holy Spirit. Who is he? Well, verse 9 calls him what? The Spirit of Christ. So he's Christ's Spirit. But notice what verse 11 calls him. It calls him the spirit of the one who raised Christ from the dead, which is not then Christ, but the spirit of God the Father. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ and the spirit of God the Father. How is that? Well, it's because he's the third person of the Trinity. You may well know that the Bible, even though the Trinity is one of the most fundamental doctrines of Christianity, never uses the word. But there's evident proof of the doctrine all over the scriptures. And here's the incredibly important point. That means the Holy Spirit's not an it. We tend to think about the Holy Spirit as what is it, but the Bible never talks about the Holy Spirit as a thing. The Bible always talks about the Spirit as a person because he is God himself, the third person of the Trinity. God himself what? 
Well, if you flip back to John 14 in your Bible, Jesus is talking about the fact that the Spirit's going to come. And he calls the Spirit another advocate. What does that mean? What's an advocate do? Well, an advocate takes our side. An advocate defends us. An advocate, to use the same word, advocates for us. Well, if the Bible says the Holy Spirit is another advocate, who's the first advocate? Jesus himself, the one who stands before the Father and says, she's mine, he's mine. They're loved, they're forgiven. Jesus is God with us incarnate who advocates for us. And the Spirit is God with us spiritually who advocates for us. He is our defender. He is our counselor. He is the one who is with us. Well, okay, then what does the Holy Spirit give? How does this work out? Well, the presence of the Spirit does something astounding. David Stevenson pointed out a verse to me this week that I had never fully appreciated. So if you've got a Bible with you, John chapter 16, flip over to verse 7. Jesus is talking. He's talking very shortly before he's going to be crucified and buried and rise and then ascend and leave. And he's trying to get the disciples ready for it. And this is what he says in verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. And you think, how in the world could it be for our good for Jesus to peace out and leave? How in the world could it be for our good not to have God with us incarnate right here? And this is his answer. Unless I go away, the counselor, which is another name Jesus uses for the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. In other words, in some mysterious way, it is better for us to have the Holy Spirit than it would be to have Jesus right here. And you go, how could that be? Well, here's the best analogy I have. It's an analogy. Every analogy breaks down. It's an analogy about the Trinity, which means it probably breaks down really fast, so don't push it too far. But C.S. Lewis that we quoted earlier had a famous friendship called the Inklings with both himself, J.R.R. Tolkien, and Charles Williams. And Williams died suddenly, and so it was left with just Tolkien and Lewis. And he wrote this about the change in their relationship. In each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can truly bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. And in some limited way, limited though it is, this starts to give us the idea of the Spirit with the Father and the Son. God sends the Spirit because the Spirit's role is to help us see the Son And Jesus' role as the Son was to help us see the Father. So in some way that's hard for our brains to get, it's better for us that Jesus went away and sent us the Holy Spirit because we will know God better. How does that work out biblically? Well, let's look at it. The Spirit says, verse 6, that he will give us life and joy and peace. Life and joy and peace forever and life and joy and peace now. Let's start with forever. Look at verses 9 through 11 in our passage. Verses 9 to 11, 
God says to us through Paul's writing that the Holy Spirit is going to show us the way to eternal life and eternal joy. Notice we say the way. One of the fundamental arguments of Christianity is that there is one way to be right with God. There's one way to eternal joy. Now that's not popular to say. That's against everything in the spirit of our age. But the question is not whether it's popular. The question is, is it true? Back on Christmas Eve, you remember our pastor James used the analogy of that Thai soccer team trapped in the cave that we all remember. Weeks to even see if they could find them. But even when they found them, how do they get them out? There are many paths that led away from that cave where they had taken shelter, but only one of those paths led to life. Every other path, I don't care how diligently you followed it, I don't care how much you believed in it, only led to death. There was only one way out of that cave, and it was dangerous and difficult, but it was the way to life. And the Holy Spirit plays the role of showing us the way to life. Again, back over in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, the verse right after I read you, not only is it better for us if Jesus goes away so he sends the Holy Spirit, but here's what the Holy Spirit will do, verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and then righteousness and judgment. And he will lead us to the Father. The Holy Spirit's number one role is to help us see the truth of the gospel. That in fact, Jesus is our hope and our only way. He points us to Jesus. And that gives us life and joy forever. Now, if that's not enough, it's not just a future promise, but the Holy Spirit is with us right now. Which means not only do we get joy forever in the Holy Spirit, but we get joy right now in our life with the Holy Spirit. If we go back to John 14... Verse 19, Jesus says, Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you'll see me. Because I live, you'll also live. Verse 25, he says, All this I've spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. And that means the Holy Spirit's promise of joy is not just about the future, it's about now. That what the Spirit will do is it will show us, he will show us where we have latched onto the flesh. Where we are trying to find joy in the wrong places. And he will bring to us a realization that we can have freedom and trust and joy in the gospel. The Spirit's role is to point us to Jesus both in the future and now so that we have joy. Well, you say, okay, I think I believe all that. I'm willing to believe all that, but... Here's the problem. I'm not sure I enjoy the Holy Spirit. I'm not even sure I know what that means to know how to think about that. What what would that even look like? How, How would I enjoy the Holy Spirit? Two things. One, we need to learn how to see the Spirit. And two, we need to learn how to walk in the Spirit. We need to learn how to see the Spirit. I think at least one of the main reasons we have so much trouble enjoying the Holy Spirit is because it's just like the glasses. I can't see Him. I mean, have you ever thought about this? Have you struggled with this doubt? I certainly have. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but that's 2,000 years ago that He lived and died and ascended, and I've never actually seen Him with my eyes. I believe Him because the Bible tells me so, but you know what? When I pray to him, he talks back to me, but the way he talks back to me is he talks through his word. 
So how do I know that I'm not just making this whole thing up? How do I know that I don't just really love this book and so I'm fooling myself? Well, and he says, okay, I sent you the Holy Spirit, but I can't see him either. So, what, you get the doubt? What if, what if I made the whole thing up? Well, for starters, remember there are plenty of things that we can't see that are real. I can't see radio waves, but I know they're real. I can't see germs, at least with my own eyes, but I know if I don't wash my hands, I get sick. I can't see love, but it's real. John, Jesus is talking about this in John chapter 3 with a man named Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus, it's like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see its effect. So we need to learn how to see Jesus. How would we, I mean, see, we need to learn how to see the Holy Spirit. How would we do that? Well, let's put ourselves in a position where we can't miss his effect. How would you do that? Well, if you're here as a non-Christian, as our, one of our non-Christian guests, we are so excited you're here. Here's my challenge to you. Pray. Now you go, I'm not even sure there's a God. How could I pray? Pray that part too. Holy Spirit, I don't even know if you're real. I wonder if all these people are making this whole doggone thing up. But if you are real, do what John 16, 8 said and convince me of the truth of sin and forgiveness and Christ's death and resurrection. In some way, sink it into my heart that it's true, even if my head can't quite understand it. Do what you said you'd do, if you're real. Now, Christian, if, if, if you are in this situation, the Holy Spirit's already done that. The Holy Spirit has convinced us of the truth of this. That's why we turned our lives over to Jesus. But John 14, 25 said he leads us into all truth, not just that first truth. So do the same thing and say, God, Holy Spirit, show me the places where I'm still hanging on to the flesh. Convict me of the places where I actually need to be a different person. Let me see your work because you just suddenly started making my heart different about some things. Let's put ourselves in a position where we can't help but see that the Spirit was working. First, we need to learn how to see the Spirit. Second, we need to learn how to walk in the Spirit. And I suspect this is actually going to be the hardest thing for many of us. We have to learn how to walk in the Spirit. If you've recently seen a little one, about a one-year-old, starting to learn to walk, everybody else is walking, so they want to do it. They try to figure out how to do it. And finally, they get a foot out, and they get about a step, and the boom, right down on their padded little bottom. But they're trying again, and they're trying again, and the steps gradually get less shaky, and they gradually get until they're running. What, what would it look like? How would we learn how to walk in the Spirit? Well, here's what it would look like. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a person. And so, walk through your days knowing that you have God the Spirit, a person, with you. As you go through work, as you go through home, as you go through the metro, as you get on 495, just be talking to him as you go. Um, Imagine a friend comes into town from somewhere else for the weekend, and you're going to spend the whole weekend with them. And so you say, hey, I've got a few things i got to do. We need to run by the grocery store. We'll need to cook some food. We'll need to get the kids to bed. But you're also going to go downtown and see a museum or the monuments, and you might go out to Great Falls. You're going to spend the whole weekend together. Are you just going to do all that and never speak to them? Of course not. Now, you may have some wonderful moments of just contented, happy silence together, but you're also going to have a lot of conversation. You're going to talk about how it's going. So, 
Talk with the Spirit. Listen to the Spirit. Go through your days. And let the Spirit talk back to you. Now, in the Bible, the Word and the Spirit are never opposed. They're not synonymous, but they're always consonant. They're always saying the same thing. So the Holy Spirit, as you go through your days, will never, ever tell you to do something that's not caused by the Bible. But what the Spirit does when he's resident in us is he starts to talk to us and to convict us and to show us pieces of the Scripture we need to hear. So when the Spirit starts moving, listen. Step out, do those things. Let him start to change us. They're baby steps, but the more steps we take, before long we're running. So let's learn how to walk in the Spirit. It means this, when you're at work and the gossip starts about somebody else and it's really interesting to hear, when you stop and say, no, I'm not going to do it this time. That's the Spirit at work. That's a step. When somebody cuts you off on the beltway on the way home and you're just about to go, and then you go, "Mm, no. That's the work of the Spirit. That's a step. When you're tempted to look at that thing or to let your gaze linger on that person and you say, no, not this time. That's a step. That's the Holy Spirit working. When you decide to tell the truth, even when it really doesn't help you because the truth is right, that's the Holy Spirit working. Yeah, we don't take joy in the Spirit largely because we don't realize He's been here the whole time. From the moment you became a believer, He's been with you. It's just you haven't been able to see Him. So let's start seeing Him. Let's start walking with Him. And don't be surprised when you start to enjoy it a whole lot. Let's pray. God, Father, thank you that you love us so much so that you sent the Son to die for us. And Father and Son, thank you so much that you love us that you would send the Spirit to be with us. We are grateful people that you have worked in us and through us and with us that we can have joy, that we can walk in the Spirit that we can be changed people. Lord, we pray and we ask that you'd help us this week to see the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit, that we could enjoy you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.